0: Think about that. And you know what's even weirder than that? Is that I'm still friends with some of them. I mean, that I communicated, one of them has a birthday today. <laughs> when people matter, you tend to remember. When people matter, you tend to remember, my friends. You know, one of the tests of a man's belief. You know, we can say we believe this and we believe that, but one of the tests of our beliefs, my friend, is what we might call the people test. That is, how we relate to other people. And to a great extent, it indicates the validity and the value of what we say we believe. You want to know what a person believes? Watch them. Watch them interact with other people. It makes a gigantic difference, my friend, an enormous difference. Hmm. You might be interested that this statement that I'm about to read, I have found, I have found, this is in quotes here, friends, little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, them, most of them are trash. Now, I didn't say, I read that, okay? That's not me. <laughs> I think you know me by now. And I think you maybe know something about the person who just who wrote that. And I'll, I'll tell you what. The, the person who wrote that was Sigmund Freud. And that explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, this, this man, this man who said these things, is nothing like Paul. And in this chapter, friends, we have this opportunity to see something else about the apostle. Paul. Yes, we knew that this man suffered greatly for the gospel's sake. I mean, he fought with lions in Ephesus. I mean, he was beaten. He was arrested. He was threatened with death over and over and over again. Yet, he would not stop preaching the gospel. And when we come to chapter 16, this is usually about a paragraph long, what he's going to do. He mentions a few people, and by a few people, I mean 33. I don't think I had that many people in my second grade class. Well, I know that because I remember them. And in our text, my friends, we're going to see that he mentions 33 names, as I just said, and nine of them are women, both men and women who are essential, absolutely essential. If you were here today and you are trusting in Christ, you are absolutely essential for accomplishing the mission of the church, for God to do what he would plan to do and call us to do at Family Bible Church. You are absolutely critical Doesn't matter your education, how long you've been following Christ, every one of you matters. Well, as we come to the end here, we find that the first of many that Paul would greet is a woman named Phoebe. And as we will see, it is more than just a greeting, but also a commendation. Now, this is fantastic. I remember a girl I was dating needed a commendation from somebody you know, somebody to commend them for school, and ask my father to do that. And he, he used the word commend. I commend her to you. And I, oh, it's supposed to be recommend, Dad. Well, I was in high school, so I knew these things, but I was wrong. It was a, he was commending Phoebe to this church, and likely it was Phoebe who was carrying this this Roman letter, this church to the or this letter to the church of Rome. And you will notice this greeting that is about to ensue a number of people, 33 of them, all have a two-part emphasis. One is that Paul loves these people. Certainly to remember them is to evidence of love for them. These people mattered to Paul. And so, two-part emphasis. The first is to demonstrate Paul's love for these people dearly. And that he wants to enfold them in their arms, which, by the way, the word that is translated Greek means to enfold them in his arms. You know people like that? I usually see them on Sunday mornings. People you care about. And so this greeting doesn't means say, hey, tell, tell them I said hello. It's a whole lot more than that, my friends. <clears> hmm. <throat> And so, my friends, the second is to identify mature and dedicated believers whom he wants to commend and salute. Most of these people, my friends, most of the people you're going to read about today and you're only going to know their names. But Paul knew something about them. They were dedicated I mean, these people lived in societies that condemned them and even literally persecuted them, wanted to arrest them for gathering with the church. What you did here this morning could have cost them their lives. People who were committed, my friends, they uh, persevered through all kinds of trials and services to God. And so let's take a look at Phoebe, who kicks off the list here. In verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now, this isn't Paul's sister. He uses the term our as in she's a fellow believer of, the, of, of all of us. That's you too, by the way. Yeah, think about that. And so I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Here is a woman who didn't preach. She wasn't out there. You know what she did? She took care of people. She's a patron. Perhaps this was done financially or through hospitality, one way or the other. Phoebe was someone who looked and saw people's needs and did what she could do to meet them. And Paul says, greet her well. Greet her well. You say, well, all she did was open her home. I mean, they slept there. What's the big deal? You know what the big deal is? That's the stuff that gets celebrated in heaven, my friend. That's the stuff that Jesus looks on and says, well done. Well done, our good and faithful servant. You looked after others. It is the greatest act in all of the kingdom to love. And that's what she did. Love in action, my friends, looking out for other people. And you notice that uh, you may welcome her in the Lord, this is verse 2, in a way that's worthy of the saints and help her in whatever, way, uh, whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron. Of many and myself as well. Now we have a problem here. You didn't notice it right off. But there are some who look at this passage and say, Oh, do you see that word for servant? That word is diaconel. Well, that sounds a lot like the word deacon. And the word deacon represents an office in the church. She must have been the first woman deacon in the church. Except there's a problem with that, as I've introduced. The word is translated in some place as deacon, there's no doubt, an office in the church. But it has other meanings as well. The word is translated to mean the one who serves as an intermediary in a tra- transaction, or an agent, or an interme- intermediary, or a courier, and she's certainly a courier here. You know, one who gets something done. At the behest of a superior, an assistant, someone, it literally just means to serve. It means a servant, which says a lot about the office of deacon, by the way, when the root of your, your office means to serve. We use that word in America with politicians, you know, serving in their office. And then we smirk and laugh and say, well, serving themselves mostly, it seems, but not so here. And we know that this can't be true, that she's a deacon, as uh, she would be called. If she was serving in the office of deacon, we know this uh, for two reasons. Can't be true for, first, for three reasons. The first is, uh, the word was introduced in Acts 6. Uh, you know your Bibles, Acts chapter 6, I'll read it to you. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number... And a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. Hey, something's going on here. We're making distinctions here. Let's take care of them, but not so much them. Yeah. They were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that's the disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching for the word of God to serve tables. Now, you did not hear the disciples just say, it's not right for us to serve tables. They said, look, we can only do one thing at a time, and it is better that we preach the gospel. And so verse 3, they say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. Yeah, you know what that duty is? To serve. You know that word is deacon. Yeah. So the deacons here are cleaning off the tables. It means to serve. The second reason is that she would be unqualified to be a deacon. How do I know that? In First Timothy chapter three, Paul lays out the qualification of the office of elder and deacon. In first Timothy chapter three, in verse eight, I'll give you a second to turn there if you're inclined. If not, just listen in. In 1 Timothy 3, 8, we read, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Then they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now here's the kicker right here, friends. None of that disqualified women. Here's where it is right here. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers. You see, they must be married to a woman, indicating they must be a man. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So as we continue our study here, my friends, we can see Paul commending this woman. Now, there are some people who would say that Paul was, uh, was uh, perhaps thought less of women. But the first person on the list was a woman. So don't you dare think that God thinks less of you simply because you don't serve a certain way. Not everyone is a head, not everyone is a hand, not everyone is a foot. But all of these things matter. All of us, Absolutely. So as we continue our study, we'll notice that the abundance of women the apostle mentions with obvious affection are far more, there are far more women mentioned here than in any typical literature of the day. Paul was no misogynist, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, look at number two on the list. Greet Prisca, that's Priscilla, as you commonly know. So the first person on the list was a woman, so was the second. And then comes the third, which is her husband Aquila. And Paul says, "My fellow workers in Christ." So here is Prisc and Aquila, fellow workers of Paul. And you will notice something unusual about them. Verse four: Who risk their necks for my life? You and I, we use that as an exp- just as an expression. You know, I almost lost my neck last. These are people who risked literally their lives and literally their necks in the service of the gospel. And notice notice not only did they risk their life for Paul, they hosted a church in their house. Greed also the church in their house. Now, friends, at this time, there was, there was no concept whatsoever of, hey, let's to get together and build a building, and then we can meet there. And then we can rent it out for weddings. and we... <laughs> They met in, ch- in their houses. It's what they did. Hospitality was hugely enormous and essential for the church. So they didn't have gigantic churches and probably didn't have big bands with all the equipment and stuff. But you know what? They honored God. They honored God. They met in their houses. And notice yet another reminder of how valuable women are to the work of God. We should also note the abundance of women the apostle mentions with obvious affections, my friend. Far, far greater than you would find in any literature of the day. And then we find here in verses at the end of verse 5 through 16, a whole list of people that uh, we don't really necessarily know who they are. But they mattered. Greet my beloved Apop, uh, I don't even, a uh, uh, Patanus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Well, there's a distinction. And then greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. There, there is a commendation right there, working hard. And then there are the fellow inmates of Andronicus and Junia. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. A smattering of people, different every one of them, but all of them mattered. And then we have Amplitus, a brother in Christ. And you can notice how he refers to him, verse 8. greet Amplitus, my bro- beloved in the Lord. And then he mentions some varied fellow workers. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus, And greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ, and greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. And greet my kinsmen. Notice these families that are mentioned in verses 11 through 15. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard for the Lord. Seems to be an emphasis in this list. People who carve out time in their life and give their energies to the service of the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. What an endearing phrase there. Now this Rufus. Now Rufus was mentioned as the son of Simon of Cyrene, who was the one who carried the cross of Christ. It may be, we don't know for sure, if this is indeed the Rufus whose father carried a cross. Amazing. Think about that kind of heritage. Yeah, wow. And greet Asyncretus, uh, Phlegon, Hermans, uh, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. And he, we just have this long list of people that you and I don't know. But you know who does know them? The Lord Jesus. Because they served him well. Olympus and all the saints who are with them. And then comes verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And all the Church of Christ greets you. Now I know you're curious about this holy kiss. Barb, come here. I want to demonstrate this. Come here. This this is a holy kiss. It means with sincerity, that's all it means. It's not about kissing people. Do you realize what a mess that would be if we were kissing one another? I'm guessing I start kissing people, people start leaving Family Bible church. So so we're not and then my wife begins to leave me. So that ain't happening, friends. But what we do is we greet people with sincerity. That's what was going on, but the meaning of that is what truly matters, my friends. And it is something with sincerity. And then we have this conclusion. Hmm. I'm sorry. We're still in verse 17. Well, my friends, we've seen all of Paul's greeting and what a list that is. Usually that's about a paragraph. Here it's been uh, 16 verses. But then we notice here in verse 17, Paul uh, presents to them a warning about the danger to unity. And what he's talking about is false teachers that will come into the church well, friends, if you, all you got to do is watch TV or go online, you'll find a lot of false teachers. And notice what they're doing. They're causing division. That is the opposite of unity, my friends. That is why it is a danger to unity. Verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. And so what are they doing? They're causing division and they're teaching false doctrines. They create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Now don't listen to them as entertaining and don't share them. Listen to this guy. Avoid them. Look at verse 18. Deceiving, they are deceiving new and immature believers. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Big warning. You know, one of the signs of the ends of the time is a big movement away from the truth. You know that Christ is coming soon when you see this enormous departure from the truth. Empty churches in every city. Nobody has any interest whatsoever of worshiping the Lord. Dangers to unity, my friends. We see what they're doing. Then Paul tells us how to respond to it. This would be good for us to take to heart. First and foremost, be wise to what is good. Verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good. What is good. My friends, that may depend on your circumstances, the people who are around. That can change. But know what is right. Know what is good and know it well. And on the flip side, my friends, look at the end of verse 19. And innocent as to what is evil. My friends, let's not get that education on what is evil. Let us not have a a vast dictionary of all of the words and all of the phrases that all of the world uses. Let us be innocent to these things. When I was a kid and all the new phrases were coming out as they always do throughout every generation I remember my grandma saying what what do you mean by that oh you don't know what that means as if I'm some kind of cool kid innocent toward evil my friends be innocent toward evil innocent toward evil and finally be hopeful Why? Because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. The word hope is not the word we use as children. I hope I get a puppy. I hope I do. I hope I do. I hope it's not a cat. I hope... The word hope that we... (laughs) Cat people. Funny. (laughs) The word here that is used is the anticipation of an event. That's what our word is, el pis. Anticipation. That is our hope in Christ, that we await his return and we will be gathered together. He is our hope, my friends. Well, the conclusion, the goal of unity. Look at this. We come to the end of the letter and everyone gets involved. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Well, so does Lucius and Jason and Sisypter and my kinsmen. I got family members back here and everyone says, Hello. Greetings, my friends. And then we have a note from Paul's amanuensis. You say, what? An amanuensis was kind of like a secretary. Now, Paul is the author of this letter without a doubt But he's not the one that put the pen on paper. This was a common thing in in this this time where uh, uh, Paul gives uh, Tertius an opportunity to write into this. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, nobody said, oh, this is a different author than Paul. Paul's not the guy. No, we all understand that he's the amanuensis. Is your vocab word for the day. And Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greets you. And then here we have Paul's doxology. And here it is, my friends, the whipped cream on the top. Paul's doxology. It focuses on God's power and his glory. And he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret long ago. And so the focus is on the power of God, which is here to strengthen you. You say, I can't go another day. I can't open it one more time. And the answer is yes, you can. Because you have strength from God. And then we notice the power, power of God. But, now, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writing has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The power of God to save sinners. And all of this, my friends, to bring glory to God to the only wise God, the glory be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. The end. So I ask you this, my friends, what's this book about? You remember the first three chapters talking about our sin? Talking about how we are separated from God, how the whole world has moved away from God, both Gentiles and Jews. And then we came to chapters four and five, and we learned how God makes sinners righteous. Christ died for our sin, and he rose from the dead. And what is it he demands of us? One word faith. Faith. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what does he do? He declares you righteous. We are justified. By faith. Remember the illustration of Abraham, who believed God. God gave him this great covenant. Abraham heard it, didn't say a word about it, but he believed God. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. And we talked about how to live this life in chapters 6 to 8, how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we came to chapters 9 to 11. You remember we talked about Israel and its future? There is a future for Israel, my friend. And then we talked about how to live this out. Practical application in chapters 12 through 16. Well, let's wrap up this sermon. A church that loves one another will reveal that love through unity. We will work together. We will minister together. We will encourage one another. Unity, my friends. Unity. So, if you're a Christian, you must be a people person. I think that has to fall somewhere in the definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because we are called to love one another, we are called to serve one another we are called to encourage one another one another my friends means unity working together you got to love and care and reach people you cannot obey god and not love your brother you cannot you know who said that it was jesus one another my friends there it is one another your role in this church Is to look out for other people, the people in this building and the people out. You may recall in my prayer at the beginning, "Give us a heart to care about the people around us." You know, there was a time in my ministry where we talked about none of this. Bring them in. No, go out and get them. Not bring them in and you know it was uh, go and tell, not uh, come in here. Friends, it's both. Go and tell people the gospel. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. But bring them in. You know somebody you haven't invited that you should invite to Family Bible Church. Go do it. That's how we build our church. That's how we grow. Likely you're here because somebody pushed you a bit. Or maybe not. Maybe it was just God but you were here to reach others. Each one, reach one. Father in heaven, God, thank you for your word. What an unusual chapter with a list of names of people that we know little about. But God, the picture of Paul's love for all of these people is clear. And his example is clear for us here today. And so, God, I pray that if there is any disunity among this body, that even now you would convict each one of us to make a step to make it right. You are worth the effort. You have commanded, surely we can't expect more if we don't obey. Help us, God, to live it out, I pray in Jesus' name.